Take up your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. To the book of Hebrews we turn. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Entirety of the book of Hebrews that we've been studying verse by verse, week by week, is reaching a crescendo, a crescendo of faith here in Hebrews 11. You'd follow along as I now begin reading chapter 11, verse 1 of the book of Hebrews. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Should we bow together and ask the Lord's blessing on his word? Our Lord and our God, our Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, before you, our God, we bow. Through God the Holy Spirit, we pray to be moved pushed along by the wind of your word, Lord, filling the sails of our hearts, that we might have clean passage of faith in this walk, that we might have solidity of you behind those things which we believe that come from your word. That we might grow in that, Lord, that the shadows of doubt might pass away from us and that our leaning would be totally upon you, a rightly focused faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we began to answer the question, what is real faith? What is real faith? Faith is a postulate, sometimes presented as sort of an ethereal, perhaps mystical thing. Many senses of feelings are associated with faith, and I'm not here to deny that there are not feelings associated with faith, but I want to show you what God says is behind real faith. What is its substance, as we looked last week? The foundation of real faith. The foundation of real faith, which is really the great way of describing that word substance that comes from us, the Greek into English, and then loses a bit in translation. The foundation is based on the facts. Faith without facts is mysticism. It is belief in belief, is trying hard to conjure what you don't know or understand. Real faith is based on facts, and the only factual speaker is the Lord God in his word. Those are the only reliable facts to put your faith in. 
facts about who God is, what he is doing, what he has done, what he will do in the future, what he has promised, what he has brought about. And that is, of course, based on the foundation of the character of God, who he is. Now, the faith is the substance of things hoped for. Since you can rely on the character and person of God, you can rightly place your hope in God and his revelation that it will be. See, faith must be built on someone or something, hear me now, outside of yourself. So often we think of faith as being mine, don't we? My faith. This morning I'm going to undermine your faith and show you that your faith is actually God-given. God-given faith. Where did you get it? Not from you. You got it from God. If you think you got it from you, that's where the doubts spring from. And so this morning we're going to see that unless someone or something outside of yourself has inspired that faith, you have no faith at all. Or you have a false faith placed in something that is unreliable. It is the foundation plan of God that produces faith in us. It is God-inspired faith that is real faith. And that even builds faith in God. So the two questions we've been working on answering, and the first one is on the table again this morning for our consideration. What is real faith? The two questions are these. What is real faith first? And then what does real faith do? What does it look like? So in answering what real faith is, we go on again this morning from the firm, firm foundation that is in God as the character of God, the facts of God, and the hope of God into now faith is inspired by God. Real faith, <clears throat> hear me now, is inspired by God. Chapter 11, Hebrews, verse 1, the second half. The first half we looked at last week. Now, faith is the substance of things not, or things hoped for, excuse me, the evidence of things not seen. So we'll be looking at the evidence of things not seen. How many times have you read that? particular verse in the Bible and said something profound like, huh? Or what does that mean? How can that even be? How do I make sense out of this phrase, the evidence of things not seen? Well, we must dive deep into this, for this is quite the pinnacle of understanding. If you miss it, you will be on the lower slopes, always looking up. But if you get to the peak, you will see the veranda which God has painted for you, and your faith will soar. Evidence we have in the English, in the New King James translation. Evidence. It comes from the Greek root word blepo, 
Not a very profound sounding word, is it? To blep, to blepo, which really means to see. The act of seeing. But it's more than that here in its construction in the Greek. It means perception. To perceive of something. The perception of something. It also has the idea of the proof of something. We might even call it verification. To put it all together, we might use a phrase in describing this term in this way, and it's a common one. We use it in our common colloquialism when we say something like, seeing is what? Believing. Seeing is believing. If I see it, I then will believe it. The empiricist is always building his philosophy, his faith on those things. If I can't see it, then I don't believe it. The problem with the empiricist is he's stuck in the material world and the weakness of his flesh. And of course, he's also stranded on the island of unbelief. His unbelief disallows him from seeing the unseen. Let me read our phrase again. The evidence of things not seen. The seeing is a, a part of this. So we might even translate this phrase in this way. Listen to me. The seeing of things not seen. The seeing of things not seen, or in another way to put it, the perceiving of things not yet visible or not visible. You perceive, you see. Not seeing is such a, a strange thing to say. Seeing what's not seen. It's oxymoronic. It's at least paradoxical, wouldn't you say? But yet here it is. God is describing what real faith is, and we must plumb the depths of it, or if you will, reach the height of it, if we want to live the rest of our Christian walk in real faith. Let me say, there is something to be seen here in Hebrews chapter 11. I say it a little bit on the farcical side, but it's in the reality side because I've noticed something here and I want to trace it out a little bit ahead of time. So as we go through it, you will always remember blepo, to see. What are you seeing and what did they see? Hebrews chapter 11 is about people who lived with the normal perceptions of people to include seeing. They're listed one after another after another. And we spend great deals of time describing their lives. But if we don't start here, we don't understand what is being said. Look at verse 1 again. Here we start with this, this progression of see, seeing, seek, and not seeing. Here it is. 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now verse 3, 
By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of those things which are visible. It continues, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated so that he did not see death. It was not found because God had translated him. Verse 6, the seeking part. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We move on to verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Divinely warned of things not yet seen seen. Verse 13 now. These all died. We just talked about Abraham, Sarah, those from them. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Here it is. But having seen them afar off. That's not enough for you. Let's look at seeking in verse 14. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And now one more I give you further along in the book, verse 27, of Moses laying aside his princely position. Verse 27, by faith he, Moses, forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as, listen, seeing him who is invisible. The evidence, the seeing of things not seen is faith. And this real faith is inspired by God from the outside to the inside of the human. We call that Objective evidence. Faith is given by God objectively from the outside in. And that proves to man the veracity. The, it gives it verification, a verification to his promises and his word. In short, God makes man believe in him makes man take him at his word and trust him. Well, it kind of seems like some might be having a bit of trouble with this and, and following through when we think through these big subjects. And we do have trouble with it because we have so oft said these words, my faith. But I pose to you this question, where did your faith come from? Did you always have it? You must answer that question theologically correctly, right? You must say, no, I was born in sin and unrighteousness. And as Paul says, was by nature a child of wrath, just like the others, not believing, not of faith. So you did not always have faith. Anyone ever comes up to me and says, oh, I've always had faith. I always challenge that 
illusion. You did not always have faith. Faith came to you. The question is, how? How did it come to you? Well, it came from the outside in, not from the inside out. Romans proves this when Paul says in Romans chapter 10, after telling us about the gospel and how important the gospel is, how lovely on the mountaintops are the feet of him who brings the gospel of peace, the good news. He says this, so then faith comes by what? Hearing. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We said in the first place that real faith is based on a real foundation. The real foundation are the facts. The facts are the word of God. When the word of God, the facts dominant. There are no more dominant facts in all the face of the world than God's words. Remember, Christian, the power is not in you. The power is in the word of God. For even this gospel, Paul says, is the power unto salvation for all who believe. It is the power. And he says things like this. If we skip, to Romans, skip back up to Romans 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... These are the sons of God. So there's an external leading by the Spirit of God. These be, are the sons of God. Verse 15 now, Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Even to be adopted, you're adopted from the outside into the family. You're an outsider, then you're made an insider not by yourself every orphan wants to have themselves adopted but they have no control over it they hope for the parents they hope for that special couple to come along to bring them into their family but it is god who adopts us and makes that legal decision that we thereby we may call him abba father in verse 16 of romans 8 we read this the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you believe you're a child of God? Well, how did you come to that belief? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God came to you. He bore witness with your spirit that you are children of God. It is from the outside in and God, if you will, inspiring that in you, causing that in you. In Ephesians chapter 2, we quote this verse so many times, but we have to quote it with understanding. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through what? faith. And sometimes we read that and we say, my faith. Well, let's read this again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. No my in there. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Hmm. No my. No me. Oh me, oh my. And that not of yourselves, what is it? It is the gift of who? 
God, you didn't give yourself the gift of grace. God did. You didn't give yourself the gift of faith. God did. The proper understanding of this Greek construction is that the gift is composed of two subsets. The subset grace and the subset faith. Now when we read it, we see that both of these things are gifts. For by grace, a gift of God, you've been saved through faith, a gift of God, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you can't gin up faith and say, well, I was the one that came to faith. This is my faith, baby, and I'm sticking to it. No, this is God-given faith, and that's why you stick with it. And that's also why you can trust it, because it's not based on you. Are we reliable? We are not reliable. Kids, get used to it. We all want reliability, but there is only one source, this side of death, this side of the kingdom, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We can rely on Him by faith that was given to us as a gift from God. God, the Holy Spirit, innervating it. And notice this as well about the work of the Holy Spirit with regard to our belief and with the regard to our understanding and even where we put our faith. 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks to the Corinthian church there in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches. So this is not a worldly wisdom. This is not man-centered wisdom. It doesn't originate with man. But, listen, which the Holy Spirit teaches. God the Holy Spirit is an internal lecturer, professor, teacher of the facts of God's Word. Where did the Word come from? How did it come to us? By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is God. From God innervated by God the Holy Spirit. So not with man's wisdom, what it teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Pay attention here now, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, weighing them out. But the natural man, this means the unsaved man, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. He does not receive the things of the, Spirit, of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness to him. Unbelieving, natural man, where we all began, do not believe the wisdom of God. They do not believe. They believe the wisdom of man. So the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. What? 
Let me just read it again because it's in there. Nor can he know them. God just said it is impossible for a man in his natural fallen state to know the spiritual things of God. He is in an impossible condition, hence the gift we just talked about. Hence the outside coming in. God coming from the outside, the objective truth, and putting it in you. Helping you see what you could not see before. I saw the what we say about salvation. I saw the light. What light, the natural man says. What you mean is I've been enlightened. I now see what I couldn't see. I now perceive what I could not before understand. I get it. This is why you got it. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. They are waged spiritually by the Holy Spirit and understanding comes through him. Man in his impossible condition, he cannot see, he cannot perceive, he cannot understand God inspires and gives faith as a gift. It is the outside evidence or proof that shows whether faith is true. We understand that we are justified. True or false? True or false? How do you know you're justified? Did you see the judge? And he say, justified. You didn't see him. But you believe it. Because God's word pronounces it. An amazing thing. See, real truth justifies believing in it. Whereas on the other hand, trusting in a lie... Never does that. The lie always finds. That's why I said to you kids earlier, guess what? Get used to this. Men are not reliable. At some point, we all lie. And the whole congregation says, Amen. Which means truly, verily, he's right. Now that doesn't mean I have license to lie, because I heard pastor say that, so quit trying not to. That's not what I said. In all of the doing, God is still going to teach you through your failures and you will become more honest. But your first honesty must be with regard to your faith. It is not your faith. It is not my faith. It is God-given faith of things not Seen. The seeing of things not seen. So this is not a blind faith 
said, oh, well, this must be that kind of take a wild shot in the dark, you know, just jump off the cliff, go through the door, that kind of thing. It's not that. It's not faith in nothing. It simply is faith in what you cannot see. That's what he said. You know, we do all this all the time in our physical world, right? You know, I'm amazed how dependent we are on the natural world, properties of science, physics, etc. You know, I think about it especially like when the power goes out. How much reliance, how much faith we have on electricity. It was a few weeks ago, the power went out and I knew it was out. I went to go get the car out of the garage, and what did I do? I went up there and I pushed the button. And nothing happened. Intellectually, I know the power's off. But by faith, I pressed the button. And I expected it to open. It didn't work. That is faith falsely placed in something that most of the time is reliable but not that day. And then just this little brief wave of indignation and madness goes through me. What in the world? Oh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with this? And you realize, okay, just do it manually. It's not that big a deal. But we depend on it. We put our trust in it. And I ask you this question. When's the last time you actually saw electricity? The electricity you depend upon for the garage door opener to open. You know, we could go back to school and say, well, you know, the electrons flowing through here, and you got the difference between amps, you know, and that's the power that drives the thing through there as opposed to volts, but you need a certain amount of voltage and those kind of things. You know, what's a volt? And an amp. Well, you get this little meter pastor and you put it on there and, the, and you put it to the amp thing and it shows amps. You put it to the volt thing, it shows volts. And I still ask you, where are they? It's some world out there where they're working and I cannot see them. So in our common understanding, we understand seeing things that are not seen. We verify that this works every time you walk up and go, why didn't it go up? It's supposed to go up. I believe it's going to work. And that's just one of many examples we could make about seeing of things that are not seen. We could even add to that, you know, does anybody here like riding on airplanes to fly somewhere? I've got a few that are yeses, a few that are like, I don't know, man. I pray every time. I do too. I haven't prayed when I jumped out of them. But all that said, you realize you're flying on stuff you can't see. How does a plane fly? Is there little birdies under there carrying up? You see, they go, oh, but what are they flying on? They're flying on air. Is that like walking on sunshine? Whoa. No. Is flying on air. So you're going to fly on air. <laughs> Good luck with that. 
But we know scientifically these air has molecules. Enough molecules hitting the one surface, the other surface having less molecules, all of a sudden lift is created and you're flying. I tried that as a kid with a garbage sack off the uh, roof of the shed. Uh, always my problem, a little too small amount of math calculations for the weight. Needed at least a larger garbage sack, but nonetheless, it was an experiment. And we caught some molecules, but not seemingly enough to slow us down all that much. So what I'm saying is you do live in a world. So when we read these things, the evidence of things not seen, the scene of things not seen, this is not something you don't understand. This is something you do understand. But now you need to understand it with regard to God and his foundation, his word, and even more so as we go along. First Peter, some profound words that Peter gives to those of the dispersion and he tells them of this salvation that they have and, and how they can trust it. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, and he says, of you who are kept, listen, kept by the power of God. So security and safety, you're kept by the power of God, declaration of an unseen thing through faith. Who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Whoo! Does that not blow your hair back? I mean, if I had more hair, it'd blow mine back. Let me read it slowly. Think of seeing what's not seen. You're kept by the power of God through faith in the power of God for salvation. Wait a minute, he's talking to saved people. The word deliverance, the word salvation doesn't just have an eternal aspect in the here and now, just your positional salvation. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That There is for me a relationship with God that saves me and brings me into right relationship for him. There is a final salvation from, what did I say about us as humans earlier? We're all what? Reliable or unreliable? Ah, unreliable. That means you're not fully saved yet. That the physical imperfections of your flesh have not yet been fully sanctified unto glorification. You need a final step of salvation, final deliverance, and the older I get, the more I pine for it. You that are young are kind of like, well, I got a few things I want to do yet, Pastor, but I'm not going to say it because this is church. I want to live this life. It seems pretty good. I remember I was there. I wanted at least to kiss a girl before I died. And at that point, it seemed like the biggest thing in the world. Have a girl kiss you? Yeah, baby. I can suffer in this flesh for a while for that. But guess what? That isn't final salvation. You have to remember about the unseen that's coming is that God made 
Everything that you enjoy in this world right now, think of it even as you close your eyes. What do I enjoy? It's summer. What do I love? We love the heat. Well, today I have to try hard at that one. Love the sun. You love the games. You love the beach. You love the shore. You love the sailing. You love the fishing. You love, well, for me, the horseback riding. All those pleasures. And yes, being kissed by a girl and kissing her back. Can you talk about that in church? We ought to. We ought to. Those marriage kisses are something now. The God who created all of those things has something unseen in the inheritance that's better and he told us about it. Even the psalmist, at his right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. So the God that made the best pleasures that you could ever have this side of death before you're finally saved made better stuff that you can't see. Do you believe it? Well, I will now, Pastor, because you said so. Sort of. Well, at least till Tuesday. Right? This is big. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. There is a final revelation, a final salvation that's coming. In this, he goes on, you greatly rejoice. That is to be our condition. We greatly rejoice by faith in unseen revelations of the last time. Though now... Today, though now, listen, for a little while, that means it's a limited duration, if need be, because God is working on you in salvation, it needs be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? Listen, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Have you seen Jesus? You have not. Do you want to see Jesus? Some say yes. Do you believe you will see Jesus? One amen? Two amens? Do you believe, Christian, that you'll see Jesus? That's still weak. That's still weak. Yes! I expect to see Jesus face to face. That is the test of my faith through trials. This trial is working out a goal, and I know it by faith. God said it is. I believe it is. You don't go through a trial and say, oh, I just don't know what God's doing. That is the height of Christian unbelief. You do know what God's doing. He said it in, your, in the Word. It is a fact. And faith is built on facts. 
So when we're in a trial, we say God is working a good thing that is more precious than gold. Son, I want you to know that this trial you're going through, this loss that you suffered, this horrible pain that you are in, this awful thing that you are going through, even this failure of your own has been presented to you to show you that a valuable work is being done in you to test your faith. The faith that God gave you, or maybe if you don't have it and it falls away, it's because it was indeed your own little faith in your own little self and your own little way you wanted things to be. In denying the facts of God's word. I know that hurts. But how great the hurt is. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who reminds you, brother, sister, mother, father, child, God's working. And the revelation of Jesus is coming. Verse 8, whom having not seen you love. You love somebody you've not seen. That's nuts. No, that's faith. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, listen, the salvation of your souls, that's the final step. I wonder why Enoch's in here. Oh, not yet, that's just a commercial. I skip back to Hebrews 10, 39. The saving of the soul idea was there as well. And the writer of Hebrews said, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Outside evidence from God produces subjective faith inside the believer in the words and the promises and the person of God. All thy words are true, says the psalmist, Psalm 119. Three, real faith is inspired of God, given by God through God the Holy Spirit. And now real faith has God's approval, verse 2. Chapter 11, verse 2. Real faith has God's approval. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By what? By faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the seeing of things not seen. By it, the elders obtained a good testimony. The elders, the Greek word presbyteros, meaning indeed elders, the older ones, the fathers, the ancestors are in view as they will be listed now, starting with Abel going to Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, etc. They received a good testimony, and, and why does that matter? Well, it matters depending on the judge. And in this case... The one giving the good testimony is also the judge. I mean, that's when you know you've got your case locked. 
the one giving a good testimony of you, is also the final judge. And that's exactly what this means. This word comes from the legal sphere. It's from courtroom language. And if there was anything the Greeks were good at, it's court. It's arguing things in law. A good testimony. A testimony, we understand that. It means where somebody speaks from their direct knowledge. What they have seen, what they know about a situation or a happening, or a person, and they then give their testimony, and it is taken in as evidence. Well, this is God giving his testimony in his own court. His witness is the only truly objective judgment that can ever be given without any other additions or accoutrements added on. No other false motives. God is saying that this faith, these ones who are seeing what was not yet seen, who had a faith in the foundation of what they hoped for, they received from God a testimony of kachunk good. God created the heavens and the earth, and when he was done, he called it kachunk good. God did a good work in you, and he called it good. Because you're a faith which he gave you. Now, ain't that good? Okay. I used ain't. Sorry, Mom. Listen, we care about what people think about us, don't we? I just said, Mom. I always wanted Mom to be pleased. Well, not completely, but I wanted her to be pleased about the things she saw. Right? Right? How is it she always could see what was unseen? I know it wasn't by faith. I think it was by track record. What did you do? What do you mean, what did I do? I just walked in the house over here. Right away she knew. Or she knew that she knew, probably. She was very convincing. You want to please your father. You want to please your mother. Sometimes you want to please your brothers and sisters. You want to please your wife. You want to please your husband. You want to please your friends. You want to please those people who you would like to have your as friends. You know, the influential and successful people, your employers, etc., etc. The only person it, that it matters that you please is one, and that's God, right? And without faith, you never will. Without seeing what is not seen. Things not seen. We believe in the Lord. We believe in his testimony. And we care about it more than the testimony that men will have for us. Why is there so much corruption in our world, in our government, in our FB of I, so we're hearing? Why? Because men want to please other men more than they care about pleasing God more than they care about what God will say about them at the end what will his testimony be they don't care the Proverbs remind us of real wisdom Proverbs 29 25 the fear of man brings a snare and we've seen much fear of men in our country 
The fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be what? Safe. Eternally. The present state, you may suffer various trials, but you'll be saved through them. The Apostle Paul knew that humans were not dependable. Even his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, whom he loved. The greatest power, the greatest government in all the world was against the Apostle Paul, Rome, and its weight. Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and Paul was on trial in Rome, and Paul was standing his first defense. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, this is recorded of his fellow believers. At my first defense, Paul says, at my first defense, no one stood with me. But all forsook me. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the Christian life. The Apostle Paul stood alone. Not one man could be found, not one woman could be found to stand in his defense, to be there with him at his trial. And what does he say? Hang them all. I'm done with these church people. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Is that what Paul said? No, Paul showed us real faith. Faith that has imbibed what we've just been studying, that God is putting them through trials to grow them. God is doing something with their faith, even by putting Paul through these trials. He says, may it not be charged against them. That means God will give them a good testimony. God, do not charge this against them. Think about it. If we treated our fellow brothers and sisters who abandoned us at times that way. Oh, hallelujah. Wouldn't that be a church? Wouldn't that be a fellowship? Wouldn't that be real faith? Verse 17, who can you to rely on? Who can you trust in? But the Lord stood with me, Paul said, and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. He says, this is one great big gospel opportunity. That's why I'm here. So that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Whoo! The best stories are the worst ones. Because God shows himself strong to Jeremiah, who thought, Judah's dead. We're done. Living at the time of King Asa. Asa starts out as a guy of faith. He starts doubting. The Lord says to him through Jeremiah, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the face of the earth, seeking those who are loyal to him. Who have faith. Men will fail you, but God will never forsake you. 
He will never leave us nor forsake us. We're looking for God's approval. Real faith cares about God's good testimony, period. Four. I'm excited to get to this. I thought about making it a whole sermon, but it's got to be attached to the seen and not seen and seeking stuff. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. And here it is. Real faith understands the frames of time. Verse 3, by faith, we understand. Let me start again. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, as soon as I said that, most of you went to creation and you went to the six days, didn't you? You went there and God spoke and something came out of where there was nothing. Or at least it came from where you couldn't see. God spoke. There was no light, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God made a firmament, and God made the earth, and God made things to grow on the earth, and, and God made and created, and on the sixth day, God made man and all that stuff. That's not here. That's not what he's talking about. So quit that. It's not in this text. God did do all those things, but that is not the word that is used here for worlds. The word for worlds here is eons in the Greek. We would say eons in the English, and an eon is a measure of what? Time. Bingo. Move to the front of the class. Time. Periods of time. Not cosmos, the material world, but on time periods. This says, by faith we, that would be us, that would be to whom he's speaking, this writer to the Hebrews, all Hebrew believers, and then, of course, we who believe, understand that the time periods were framed by the word of God. Can I remind you of something? Beauty of the rhetoric that this Greek writer, and I know he's Greek, we don't know who he was. Some suspect Paul, but this is different than Paul. I don't think it was Paul. Some sus suspect it was Apollos. I think it could be a very great rhetorician in the world of the Greeks, though he was trained and used by God mightily as a preacher, he starts this book, whoever wrote, God. Hebrews 1 verse 1, God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, listen now, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, now we zero in, whom he has appointed 
heir of all things, now here it is, through whom also he made the eons. In the book of Hebrews, eons of time are the important feature when we get to faith. It is very important that we realize and by faith understand that God created the world that we see, the physical, tangible world. But we also understand that God created the times in which we live. He created the past times that came before and he framed them. You know, when somebody paints a picture and they hang it on walls. I notice that's kind of a new style. I see it, you know, kind of in hotel rooms and stuff like that. They, they put just a canvas stretched over a frame, frame, but there's no frame around it. And it kind of, when you look at it, it's like, well, couldn't afford it? That, you know, why not finish? Because when it's finished, it has what around it? A frame. And if you're really going to show off your pictures, your photos, you put them in a picture, help me, frame. What's that? Well, that's a picture frame. Well, what goes in there? Well, <laughs> pictures. And they record slices of what? Time. Sometimes a scenery. Right out of time. Somebody saw it and painted it. Sometimes a battle scene. They were there, the Crimean War. There it is. Go to our state capitol. Look at those paintings and tell me if you can't see time. This is God painting. And I wonder if he isn't a little above Leonardo da Vinci. Michelangelo might be God's student, not God his God knew David, David says, before he was yet formed. And he knew the number of his days before there was yet what? One of them. By faith we understand that the life we live is framed in the Eons of God's time. You are living in the age you are supposed to live in. People say, well, I think I was born too late. And others would say, I think I was born too early. I need more advancements than this. There's not nearly enough luxury for me. But the reality is, you're in the perfect place at the perfect time living the Christian life in this age. This is our time. To Daniel, there will be kingdoms. The head of gold of the statue, Babylon. The arms of the statue, Medo-Persia. The bronze center, Greece, Alexander the Great. The legs, Rome. Wasn't that an age? Wasn't that a period of time? The Roman world. 
And yet one more kingdom has yet to rise. And it might be rising in our age. The feet of steel and clay. And then one age to come. An eon of time. Do you believe it? Where the stone hewn without hands. Can you see it? that breaks that statue and all the kingdoms of the earth into chaff and powder, and he shall reign forever and ever. Can you see it? But you haven't seen it. Paul speaking to the Greeks, Acts 17 those who had so many gods but knew not him, the one true God, he declared this one true God to them, for he'd seen a pedestal with no statue on it. Oh yes, no statue on it. But a placard in Greek that said, To the unknown God. Ah, the one they could not see but were worried about offending so they made a pedestal for him they put a plaque upon it in preparation for the apostle paul who goes into their midst and says i can see you are spiritual men and he was right they were very spiritual they had a faith in gods they made so they could see them People still go to the Acropolis to see the ruins to the patron goddess of Athens, Athena. They could see it. Where is ours? It's not this church building. No, 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 no. It's us. Christ in you, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you are a temple to who? Oh, no, you've never seen that. Why do you believe it? To those people who were making a statue to the God they could not see, so they couldn't make the statue, Paul says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing... Him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. Now here it is. Our parallel passage. And he has made, listen, from one blood every nation. I just solved the race problem. Well, I didn't. God did. We all go back to Adam and Eve, period. How many races? One. Human race. Who's your daddy? Adam. Who's your mommy? Eve. You don't like those two? Try Noah and his wife on for size. But they still go back. 
to the same heritage. He has made, he says to the Greeks, these proud people that think Athenians are better than everyone else, of one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and here's our eons, and has determined their pre-appointed times. He's framed them. He painted the picture of the age before it ever occurred. Why did Alexander the Great do what Alexander the Great did? Because God said he would. And why did he stop where he did and drink himself to death and the world be split up into four kingdoms? Because God told Daniel he would. And it happened and they can't deny it. It's history. I don't even need faith for it. But Daniel did. I need faith for the stone cut without hands. Has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Why? Listen. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, the unknown God. You can't see Yet, you see. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The seeing of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the ages of time were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen we're not made of things which are visible. The United States was made by God's framing hand. And they will never be able to draw outside of the lines. The frame will stop them so that they will seek for him and find him though they cannot see him. That is real faith. To see the present, the past, and the future through the lens of God's verbal declarations, prophecies, and promises is to walk by faith, not by sight. Let's pray. Bless us, O Lord God, for you are helping us to see. We see now our faith is from you and not from ourselves. And so we can place that faith right back on you. On the things that we cannot see, but yet we see them. The yet coming as though it is. As you will wend your way through this history, bringing about your perfect plan. And in the midst of it, we pray, we might receive a good testimony of faith where we say 
This is what God said will happen. Believe it. And all God's people say, Amen. You are dismissed. God bless you all.